Tom Copeland is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has advised thousands of people, including individuals, couples, and business owners, in making wise biblical financial decisions. Tom's financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Tom is the president and founder of Copeland Financial Ministries who teach what the Bible says on finances. Now, here is Tom teaching on the topic, dealing with inflation and high interest rates from a biblical perspective. I'd like to welcome you to session three of four sessions on the topic, dealing with inflation and high interest rates from a biblical perspective. With respect to the other three sessions, be sure to go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org, if you would like to watch those, and you can, get the, uh, this, you can watch this full series there. In this session, I'm going to provide three examples of different types of budgets that are quite common and some recommendations regarding what you should do if your, your budget is similar to one of these, these examples that I give. And these are three really common types, so the odds are one of them are, are similar to your situation. Further, I'm going to provide several real-life case studies or stories that will provide some ideas on how you can deal with the increased cost of living and the higher mortgage payment, which if you haven't got it already, it's likely coming as interest rates have gone up so much lately. As usual, the names in the case studies have been selected at random, but the examples given are quite common in their real life. Okay, I now like to talk about, the, uh, about budgeting and the three common situations I see. My financial coaches and I, we've had the privilege of advising tens of thousands of people with respect to their finances, in particular their budgets, over the last uh, four plus decades. And uh, here's a quick overview of the three most common types of budgets that we see. Here's the three common situations that we see with respect to the different types of budgets um, that normally come up, which are very common. The first is an initial budget. That's where individuals do not factor in their non-monthly expenses, so they falsely believe that they have a surplus each month when in fact they've, they've got a deficit. So they, they've actually prepared a budget for the first time. They can think of their big costs mortgage payment, the utility bills, different types of costs like that, but they haven't been tracking their non-monthly expenses, they haven't been tracking, they haven't included a lot of expenses that they, they just, just haven't thought of. The typical budget is where individuals or couples, they've actually tracked all their expenses, let's say over the last uh, four or five months, and they've determined where their money has been going, and they've also factored in their non-monthly expenses, which is on form number three of the Copeland Budgeting System, and determined that uh, they're spending more than they're earning and explains why they have a deficit each month and also explains why they've been accumulating debt. The third common budget is where people have accumulated so much debt that some significant downsizing is necessary. And so here we go. Uh, to help you understand the three common types of budgets and other aspects with respect to budgeting, I'm now going to present about a nine-minute video utilizing the Copeland Budgeting System. So here's an example of uh, what we call an initial budget of what somebody's finances look, uh, look like at the beginning. I'm going to take it right, from, right through the Copeland Budgeting System. Form number one, and this is going to be common to uh, all, all scenarios here. The balance sheet will be, be common, the assets and the liabilities. They have $1,000 in their, their checking account. They have $10,000 of investments at the personal level. That could be a TFSA. They have a, a house that's worth $400,000. He has um, an RSP of $50,000. She has an RSP of $20,000. But uh, here's on the liability side. They have credit cards in total, several of them. They've accumulated $15,000. They got personal loans of $30,000. And they got $50,000 worth of um, personal line of credit. Now, right away, I can actually tell what's going on with this situation 
for this couple in that um, they've, they've got the personal loans, they've got the personal line of credit. I can pretty well guess they've been spending more than they've been making for a number of years. They've run up the credit cards, they've probably taken out a personal line of credit probably two or three times, paid off the credit cards, thinking they solved their problem, but they didn't solve their problem at all. The underlying problem, they're spending more than they're making, so they're back into a financial bind again. They got significant credit card debt, they ran up the personal lines of credit, and they've even borrowed from some family members. They got some personal loans. So let's go to form number uh, number two for a second. And this is a real simple one. It just shows, shows the income for a typical month. In this case, the husband works full time and earns $4,000 a month after tax. The wife works part time. She earns $1,000 after tax. And just assume they have two kids. Um, okay, we go to um, form number three. And you can see most of this they haven't completed. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Those are the non-monthly expenses. Form number five gives the overview of their situation. Donations is $200 a month. They used to uh, give 10% to the Lord's work, but they don't anymore because, as, as they say always, the debt goes up, the giving goes down. They have, you can see their mortgage payment, their property taxes, everything is on here that they've accounted for, but some things like house maintenance, insurance, some of costs have not been accounted for. And if you go through this, basically, uh, you can see there's a number of costs that they haven't accounted for. And if you look at it bottom line, what it normally is, if we go back to form number three, it's the non-monthly expenses. Most people, when they develop their initial budget, they do not consider their non-monthly expenses. And that's what they've done here, and they need to factor that in. So I'd now like to um, go to the typical budget, where the couple has indeed factored in their non-monthly expenses, but it shows that they're spending a little more than they're making. Okay, so here's the typical budget. The assets are exactly the same as what I provided in the first scenario for the initial budget, and the liabilities are the same, same problem, same, this is the same, same couple, um, they spent more than they're making for a number of years, accumulate debt in the credit cards, they use the first line of credit to pay it off, etc. If you go to form number two, they have the same income, but the difference with this couple, they've actually, um, they've completed form number three, okay, they've completed form number three, house maintenance, $1,800 a year, and the computer, the program, the template automatically divides by 12, makes it 150. Property taxes, $3,600 a year. Again, that's $300 a month. If you go through all of these, um, auto repairs and maintenance, they've got two cars and they're estimating their auto repairs to be about $2,400 a year for the two cars. And that's, that's usually common, about $100 a month. Um, and so, but they, they got two cars, so they got to set aside $200 a month for, um, for auto repairs. Auto insurance, uh, they, and again, $2,200 a, a year, $183 a month. This time they factored in their non-monthly expenses. And you can see that on the non-monthly expenses, they've got $1,258 per month of non-monthly expenses. And if you now go to form number five, once you put them in form number three, it all comes through into form number five. And here's the key. Once they factored in their non-monthly expenses, they have a deficit of $808 per month. That explains why they're in debt. They've been spending more than they're making. They, I, I sit down with so many people, and when they prepare their initial budget, they think, well, we actually have a surplus. We're in good shape on a monthly basis. No, no you're not. Uh, they have, if you don't factor in your non-monthly expenses, you can be deceived. You can start to think you have a monthly surplus when in fact you don't. And you put in some of those expenses that occur once a year or just several times a year, or some of them like car expenses and house, house expense, car repairs and house repairs, when you don't know when they're going to occur, but they do occur, that's for sure. Um, you need to put in estimates of those, and when you figure it all out, and this couple's figured it all out, they actually have an, a deficit of about $800 a month, and it explains why their debt's been going up. If you do the math, that's about $10,000 a year. That explains why their debt's been going up and up and up over the last several years. They haven't been managing their monthly cash flow uh, properly. So 
I'm now going to go to uh, the next scenario, which shows a couple that's accumulated so much debt that um, they have to do some major, major downsizing. Okay, and the same with their, their assets and liabilities. They're basically uh, the same, except this couple decided to buy a more expensive home. They got a house that's worth $675,000, and of course, because of that, they got a considerably bigger mortgage, $375,000 versus the other couple that had a much smaller mortgage. If we go to form number two, they, they have the same level of income. He makes $4,000 a, a month after tax. She makes $1,000 a month after tax. She works part-time. You go to form number three, they have accounted for their non-monthly expenses, but in this case, they got a bigger house, so there's more house maintenance, you'll see later, there's more utilities, etc. There's more property taxes are higher with the more expensive home and the bigger home. Auto repairs, um, 2400 a, a year, they're the same, the insurance is the same. Healthcare, they're averaging about $1,500 a year, so that's a cost of about 125 a month. And by the way, you can see these numbers for the non-monthly expenses, it comes up to $1,533 per month. Ideally, this couple should be putting that kind of money aside into a savings account and then keeping track of it and have the, so they have the money. So when that auto repair comes up, they have some money in the bank to pay for it. When the, um, the insurance premium comes up for the car once a year, they have the money. Even when the vacation, a lot of people don't save for their vacation. You can see they're planning to take a vacation next year for $2,100. They should be setting aside $175 per month so they don't have to put it on, on the credit cards. And if you want to keep track of your, um, your, how, how you, your savings are allocated in your savings account, you can go to form number four and it, it basically uh, shows you how to do that. But I'm not going to get into details on that. You can get that from our website. But here's the key, what I'm trying to emphasize here. Here's a couple, they have a bigger house, they have a bigger mortgage, they got more property taxes, more utilities, etc. And because of that, even though they're living a lifestyle similar to the other couple, they're actually got a deficit of over $2,000 per month. And the problem here is they have so much debt and such a, they have to downsize their house. They have no choice. They have to downsize their house. They probably even have to go from two cars to one car. They got to make some major lifestyle changes. The couple with the um, typical budget where they just were spending about $800 per month more than they had coming in. Generally speaking, if they just lower their discretionary expenses often or maybe go from two cars to one, they can usually keep their home and, and be able to continue with their lifestyle on the most part, except maybe they go with one car instead of two. But this is a couple that's left it so long and they have an expensive, more expensive house and a bigger mortgage. They have so much debt that they've accumulated and such a big negative cash flow this couple clearly has to sell their home. They got to downsize significantly. They got to sell one of their cars. And hopefully they can, once they work out a new budget, they'll be able to afford to buy a more modest home. Um, we'd only have to work through the figures to, to figure that out. But that's just a big picture overview of some of the three scenarios that I see are very common, which people run into. And if you'd like to learn more about this, go to copelandfinancialministries.org. You can download our, our Excel-based budgeting system. It's free. There's a 30-minute video there that goes into more detail than what I've done here on how to use it. And if you would like some um, biblically-based financial advice, we have several financial coaches. We do that on a ministry basis at no charge. Just go to the website and send us an email, and we can, we can help you with that. So um, I'm just going to pray. Father, I just pray that you'd uh, help everyone uh, listening to develop and implement uh, a budget in such a way that they could indeed um, have a surplus to pay down debt and save for future needs. Lord, give them wisdom and direction in doing this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to now deal with some real-life stories 
and, or case studies. In order to help you understand the practical application of the biblical principles, including some ideas to deal with inflation and higher interest rates, I've provided several real-life case studies below, or you can call them stories, of, uh, of things that have happened and what some people have done in order to get their finances in order. Case study number one, two women share accommodation. Sheila and Betty are good friends. They are both single moms. They both barely have enough income to pay for the necessities. Their largest single expense is rent for their individual apartments. After attending one of our seminars, they learned that they could benefit significantly if they shared accommodation. So they worked out a budget of what they could afford based upon their incomes and also what it's, what it's going to cost with respect to rental accommodation. And they determined that they, together they could actually afford to rent a small house. Separately, it was just an apartment, but together they could actually rent a small house. It's now several years later, and it's worked out extremely well. The money they saved on the rental costs enabled them to save up enough of a down payment so together they are now able to purchase the very house that they're renting. And they just praised the Lord because they knew if they had done it on their own without the help of their good friend, they would have never been able to afford a house. So question, what biblical principles have Sheila and Betty followed? And can you think of a scripture that they've, they've actually followed? Think of a scripture. Now, there's a number of them, but there's one scripture I'd like to quote that I, I don't quote that often, but I think it's a key one. And here it is. It's in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So I've seen this kind of thing of shared accommodation work for hundreds of people, whether they be single moms or single individuals or even couples. It's a win-win for everyone, as everyone can benefit by saving on their accommodation costs, which are normally their, their most expensive, uh, their biggest outlay of, 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 of money that they have to make, their rent, mortgage payments if they happen to own, etc. However, in other cases, I've seen there have been some significant challenges. If you go to session two of this series, I provide a checklist of 14 items that you should consider before entering into shared accommodation. Because there, there can be some, some challenges that make it so it's not appropriate, it's not a wise decision to share accommodation with that particular individual, which means you need to look for someone else who's, who's, who's uh, more appropriate. Case study number two, a stay-at-home mom who earns additional income. Bill and Leslie are married. Leslie is a stay-at-home mom looking after three kids. Unfortunately, they are currently running into some financial problems because when their mortgage uh, payment increased, when the mortgage came due, the payment increased by about 30% as a result of the recent uh, interest rate hikes. Further essential items such as food, gas at the pump, etc. have increased substantially in price. They are both very frugal and always have been. They spend their money very wisely and they know where their money is going. But one thing that's become evident, because of the increased mortgage payment and the increased cost of living, they have to earn some additional income. So here's the question. Provide some ideas into what Bill and Leslie can do to increase their income. Think about that and provide a reference to scripture if you can. Here's a, a couple of my ideas, and you may have many others, and there's, there's lots of ideas you can list out here on how to earn more income. I had provided that in a previous session. Um, but here's something I think that particularly could apply to this couple. Leslie could do some child mining for one or two or maybe three kids of other parents in her neighborhood who work, who work out of the house. So often when I'm counseling couples, 
uh, in this kind of a situation, it is generally so much better financially for the couple uh, if the stay-at-home mom looks after one or two or maybe three if she can handle it of their neighbor's kids and be on the receiving end of childcare rather than on the paying end. Because if this lady Leslie goes out to work, she's going to have to pay for childcare. She's going to have to pay for other things like travel and probably more for clothes depending where she works. And, and uh, it, it can be expensive. Now, if she can earn a really high income, then it's probably worth it financially. But uh, in this case, um, you can probably assume that Leslie has an average income ability. And so I think in her case, especially with three kids, um, taking in one or two or three kids of her neighbors, I'm going to guess two or three would be more than enough, would really, really help their finances. This would enable them to meet their uh, higher mortgage payment and cover off the additional expenses of inflation and probably give them a surplus so they can start paying down debt and saving for future needs, such as kids' education and retirement. Case study three, marriage relationship restored by way of biblical financial advice. Several years ago, a pastor contacted me with respect to a couple to whom he had been providing some marriage counseling. This husband and wife had already separated and he believed the marriage was over. However, he noticed that they argued about finances often, so he referred them to me. I connected with this couple, assessed their financial situation, identified that they had been violating many biblical financial principles, generally unknowingly. I taught them God's word on finances. They went through our in-depth study, financial management, God's way, and God, not me, but God through his word and his spirit, changed the way they thought about and the way they managed money. As they learned and applied God's financial principles, the financial stress decreased and the marriage relationship gradually healed to the point that about one year later, I got an email from the husband thanking us for the financial advice. Financial pressures had decreased substantially, and he told me, we fall in love again. And so the marriage was completely restored, moved back together, and it's several years later now, and they're actually doing quite well financially, and especially well in their marriage relationship. So I want to send this out as a real-life case study, as an example, and I've seen a number of them over the years, where if you and your spouse, if you have a lot of debt and a lot of financial problems and you're fighting and arguing, you're stressed out about your debts, it is very possible. God is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. If you both learn and manage money according to biblical principles, God will enable you to get out of the debt eventually, deal with the debt, he'll give you peace, and your marriage relationship can be restored notwithstanding the fact of how much debt you have. That's, that's for sure. I've seen it with so many people, and this couple had a lot of debt. Case study number four, individual on the verge of bankruptcy. I recently counseled a woman who had accumulated a lot of debt on credit cards, a large personal line of credit, and she had a very large mortgage. As a result of interest rates increasing, her mortgage payment increased substantially, and of course her cost of living of almost everything increased as well because of inflation. She was convinced that it was hopeless and that she would have to declare bankruptcy. I reviewed her finances and I diplomatically explained to her the several biblical financial principles that she had been violating. I strongly recommended that she meditate on certain key scriptures in order to allow God through his word to change the way she was thinking about money and material things and therefore change the way she was managing money. She did study and meditate on God's word regularly as well as eliminating all non-essential expenses. She downsized her home so that the mortgage payment was less and the property taxes utilities were also less. And within four months, she finally had a positive cash flow and she used those funds to start to pay down debt. As she demonstrated to the Lord that she was trustworthy with what she had, as it says in the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, I was not surprised. God entrusted her with a better job and more income. It was amazing. Within one year and a half, she'd paid off all her credit cards and her personal line of credit. 
Next, she paid off her car loan, and today she's working on paying down her mortgage, and she should be totally debt-free, including no mortgage, within eight years. Had she gone bankrupt, she would have lost her home, lost her car, and everything. Clearly, it pays to manage money according to biblical principles. So here's a question. Is it within biblical principles for a Christian to declare bankruptcy? What do you think? Here's my answer. No. Psalms 37.21 in the New International Reader's Version says, Sinful people borrow and don't pay back, but those who are godly give freely to others. It is a sin to go bankrupt and avoid paying your debt. Yes, God can forgive the sin of bankruptcy if it's confessed to Him from a genuine heart, 1 John 1, 9, but it is certainly not God's will. Further, what kind of a light into a world of darkness is a Christian who does not pay their debts or they don't pay them on time? In Matthew 5:16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I've seen hundreds of cases where people were in financial trouble, seriously thinking of declaring bankruptcy. However, for those who learned and applied the biblical financial principles, almost all of them, almost all of them were available to avoid bankruptcy. So if you're on the verge of bankruptcy, I'd encourage you, get into God's Word, go to our website, go through the series Financial Management God's Way, go to the resources, there's all kinds of them, most of them are free on our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. And I, I, I just know with confidence the probabilities are so high, like 95% plus, that God will enable you to avoid that bankruptcy. Case study number five, a couple who rents out their basement apartment. Joe and Sarah are married, and they are now empty nesters as both their kids have moved away from home. They have followed biblical financial principles for the last 15 years, and they are totally debt-free, including no mortgage. When their son was a teenager, he lived in the basement fairly independently, which had a kitchen, a bathroom and all the essentials. They were thinking of downsizing their home, but after considerable time of prayer and asking the Lord for His wisdom, James 1.5, and His direction, God answered that prayer and revealed to them what they should do. The very next Sunday at church, their pastor announced that there was a single mom in the congregation who was very, a very committed Christian who had two children who were being required to leave their current accommodation and they needed an apartment ASAP and they needed it at a very low price as their income was very modest. The single mom had several people in her church uh, praying for her, and she was praying, of course, that God would do something out of the ordinary to provide this single mom and her two kids with decent accommodation at an incredibly low price. God answered two prayers at once. God directed Joe and Sarah to rent the basement of their house at whatever the single mom could afford, no fixed amount. The single mom provided her budget, and the amount that she could afford was way less than fair market value of that basement apartment, but nevertheless, God moved in the hearts, Proverbs 21.1, of Joe and Sarah, and they agreed to accept the modest rental payment. Praise God. I think of Proverbs 21.1, where it says, The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand, and the Lord, the Lord directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. So here's the first question. What is the first thing that impresses you about Joe and Sarah as Christians? Think about that. What impresses you about Joe and Sarah? I'd say this, Joe and Sarah have been managing money for over God's way for over 15 years. They're totally debt-free, including no mortgage. So they have the flexibility with respect to their finances. In other words, they do not need fair market value rent for the basement apartment in order to pay their bills. They got flexibility to do that. Today, this is rare as most people have not only a mortgage, but also a car loan, a line of credit, and they're generally running balances on their credit card. So most people don't even have the flexibility, even if they have the desire to help someone out. They, they, they can't do it. They don't have the, uh, they're in so much debt, they're a servant to the lender. Um, 
Question two, what do you think about Joe and Sarah renting the basement apartment to the single mom and her kids at an incredibly low rate, significantly less than fair market value? I'd say this is commendable and it's biblical. There are many sisters in the Lord who are single moms who have modest incomes and this is a great way for them to minister to the single mom in a very practical way. Based on God's word, I know there will be many rewards in heaven for Joe and Sarah for helping a sister in the Lord in this way. Jesus said, for when the Son of Man returns in his Father's glory with his angels, he will reward each person according to what they have done. Matthew 16, 27. Case study number six, a couple in ministry needs support and a vehicle. Len and Lori are married. They both work full-time in ministries with modest salaries and are dependent upon givings designated for their support. They have managed money God's way for many years and as a result, their only debt is the mortgage on their home. When their mortgage came due, they were shocked that their mortgage payment was increased by 35% because of the recent increase in interest rates. That combined with the cost of living increases due, in, due to inflation resulted in a very negative monthly cash flow for them personally. And to complicate things further, their 18-year-old automobile was almost totally worn out and it needed to be replaced. But there's no way they could afford to buy one for cash or they couldn't even afford to take on a car loan. They reviewed their budget again. They cut their expenses to the bone. That's eliminated all expenses unless they were absolutely necessary. However, they still had a negative monthly cash flow which needed to be dealt with. They prayed fervently, and several of their friends at church prayed fervently as well, that God would meet their needs. And they, they had put God first, as Matthew chapter 6, and they, they, they claimed that God would meet their needs as they had put him first. Within a couple of months, a successful businessman at their church decided to support them for a significant monthly amount, and as a result, they could balance their budget. Praise God. However, they still had to replace their automobile. They prayed that God would do a miracle because the price of automobiles had increased substantially over the last few years, and they simply could not afford to buy one, either for cash or even afford a car loan payment. They didn't have any money. Uh, Several's in their church prayed as well. Not long after, an elderly woman at the church who could no longer drive because of health issues prayed about it, and God directed this elderly lady to give her car to Len and Lori, and it was in great shape with low mileage. In other words, God answered prayer both for the prayers of providing more income and also another automobile that they could drive. Praise God. Uh, just a comment. The story of Len and Lori is real life. I've seen probably in the last four decades 100 cars given away between Christians, and so it's amazing what God can do. And I've seen many, many cases, hundreds of cases, where people needed uh, funding for the ministry, and God provided. And so I uh, just think of Matthew 6, 31 to 33, where Jesus promised that if we put him first, God will meet our needs and incur, and indeed that's what occurred for Len and Lori. Some final comments. If you'd like to learn more about dealing with inflation, high interest rates from a biblical perspective, check out the other three sessions, one, two, and four, on our website. And also, I'd encourage you to consider going through our in-depth study, Financial Management God's Way. This is a study where we see the most significant permanent change in the way people manage money. All of these uh, groups are on Zoom, so it doesn't matter where you live. And just go to copelandfinancialministries.org for details and to register. Also, you may want to consider purchasing a copy of my book titled Debt Reduction, Biblical Principles to Deal with Inflation, High Interest Rates, and to Eliminate Debt. Books can be purchased from our website, copelandfinancialministries.org, or most major bookstores. I would like to now close in prayer. Father, again, I pray that you would touch the hearts of the people listening, and I pray that they would not just be a hearer of the word, but also a doer. 
they would follow up and uh, learn and implement the biblical financial principles that you've provided for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance.